So I'm reading this letter? Yeah. All right. Dear Daniel and Thaddeus, we're reaching out to you to address what we consider a deteriorating situation in the branch, which is having a negative impact on our work as a branch and is confusing rather than clarifying the underlying political disagreements we think we have. Based on your proposals, contributions in branch meetings, and public social media activity, we think there are important political disagreements between you and the ISA on the following questions. One, we think the protests and strikes in Poland in response to anti-abortion legislation offer important opportunities for socialists and disagree with the characterization that these actions represent, quote-unquote, liberalism. Number two, we disagree with the idea that, quote, teachers are not workers. We think this point we think this points to broader disagreements about the composition and role of the working class, which left unresolved, will impact our ability to intervene in struggles and budget cuts in the public, se- public sector. Three, <clears throat> you have argued against the transitional program going so far as to say, during a discussion on our comrades' intervention in the stop and shop strike, that we are too worried about substitutionism to play a leading role in movements, and that we, quote, tail end movements. Number four, we think our international... The International Socialist Alternative offers an adequate analysis of the development of Stalinism, including in Yugoslavia under Tito, and analysis on the development of reformism, including Keynesianism. Number five, we disagree with the ideas of modern monetary theory and the anti-Marxist left bourgeois economist Michael Hudson. During the debate over your rent and mortgage moratorium proposal, you seem to be calling for SA to take sides in a struggle between allegedly different wings of the ruling class, finance capital versus industrial capital. Using an analysis that was long ago outdated, as outlined in Lenin's Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism. At one point during the discussion, Daniel stated that ending capitalism could mean going, quote, out of the frying pan and into the fire, because a victory for finance capital in the so-called fire sector, finance, insurance, and real estate, would mean a descent into, quote, neo-feudalism. Of course, we welcome you to clarify any of this, but we're concerned that your current approach while advocating for these ideas actually undermines the BC's efforts to discuss these differences in a clarifying way. For example, disagreements often come into branch in the form of sharp, polemicizing comments during unrelated agenda points with limited time for discussion or response. While we understand Zoom is not ideal for debates, we thought Daniel's demand during his contribution for everyone to, quote, stop typing and look at me, probably intimidated rather than encourage people to participate. We think Daniel's comments along the lines of, quote, if you disagree with me, you're disagreeing with Marx, are designed to shut down democratic debate, especially among newer members who may have invaluable experience in the class struggle itself. This dynamic is also present in some of the harsh words that Daniel chooses, such as statements he has made about how, quote, only babies, unquote, care about issues of identity and representation within socialist organizations, or his repeated implication that comrades approach is that of, quote, rad libs rather than socialist. We believe that these sort of comments in direct response to the ideas that new branch members have raised are inappropriate and only serve to discourage comrades' full participation in the branch. Except for the proposal around our housing work, we are also concerned that your primary participation in socialist alternatives seems to be building and promoting a parallel study group where the international socialist alternatives political analysis has almost no profile. In addition, Daniel is openly inviting members to a reading group run by the DSA group Class Unity. We're also concerned that you have effectively stopped participating in the work of SA nationally and locally. Neither of you have attended the National Assembly tables, phone banks, 
fundraiser or the 11-4 convention intervention. Of course, we welcome you to both play an active role in the priorities of the branch, especially in supporting the Shama Solidarity Campaign. In our opinion, the combination of deep underlying political disagreements along with disruptive and unfriendly behavior, dropping out of SA work, and refusal to work with the elected structures of the organization has created a hostile environment in the branch. The BC is responsible for ensuring the branch is a place where all comrades feel welcome and encouraged to participate. We want to appeal to you to take the following measures. One, work with the BC to propose branch agendas that allow time to address the political disagreements identified in this letter. Two, refrain from polemicizing unrelated branch agenda points, which can undermine the immediate priorities of the branch. Three, refrain from adopting rhetorical methods that are designed to intimidate and undermine the confidence of members. Four, stop promoting parallel meetings outside of the democratic structures of this organization. Five, participate in the collective priorities of the branch, especially the Shama Solidarity Campaign. And six, be up to date on your dues. In Solidarity, BC. Passive aggressive. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely <laughs> passive aggressive. You remember that scene from uh, Apocalypse Now where they send Martin Sheen in? Well, they bring him in. And they're like, "We got a, we got a situation. There's this crazy general out in the field. You got to go get him and talk him back to reason, or cut him, cut him down, cut him." Yeah. I had the overwhelming feeling as I read this that let's call him C. C was entrusted with the task of uh, Martin Jesus Sheen's Martin 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 character, right? Right. <laughs> so this is this is the call to, uh, I guess we're Colonel Kurtz, like well, Colonel Kurtz. Come back to reason, or we're gonna. Yeah, it doesn't end well for you guys then, because uh, Marlon Brando gets killed with a uh, machete. He has some good times though. The, the horror. <laughs> here's here's how i would um analyze this um it's a lesson i learned in grade school there was a boy who really liked the girl so he wrote her a love letter and you know what she did she told it to all of her friends (laughs) and this boy became a pariah and just looked fucking ridiculous. Was teased for the rest of his days. Well, let's talk about school. this ridiculous. Because what was your impression? My impression was so you forwarded me this in an email like last night, and I didn't read it last night. Right. 
Um, Who reads this shit at three in the morning anyways? Right. I guess I should say I woke up to it. Um, and, um, so yeah, you, I came downstairs and you had it printed off and it, it's like a, it reminds me of, um, like a human resources letter. You know PMC. what I mean? PMC. It's, it's very much like we're concerned with your job performance and you're at risk of, you know, termination of termination. If PMC you don't see you later. Yeah. If you don't buckle up and, uh, you know, do your job better. So buckle down, get serious, get to work. Yeah. And also I don't understand. I mean, there are certain points that seem wrong. Like the whole thing about finance capitalism, like Lenin solved this problem already. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll go into that. Yeah. We'll go into that later, but that as as evidenced by society today, Lenin (laughs) solved this, this, this problem. All you people who've, Seen people get their house foreclosed on or, you know, who've been evicted. Yeah, right. Lenin, right. Lenin solved this. He, he debunked yeah. this finance problem. Yeah, Lenin, who died. Thanks, bro. How many years ago now? A hundred. A lot. <laughs> 100. Like, I'm just yeah. going to say lots. Yeah. He died in the early 20s. Yeah. There's a good picture of him what, on 1928? Google. God rest his soul. No, earlier than that. Um, the 24, I think. Yeah, it was shortly after the revolution, right? <clears throat> yeah. And uh, there's this crazy picture i'm not making fun of him but it's it's kind of funny after he had his it's like you know that picture of nietzsche after he lost his mind yeah lennon had a few strokes and he's sitting in a wheelchair he just is totally out of it i'd recommend everyone google that picture and think of that when a marxist says that lennon has solved all these problems i I mean just it's i mean say historical to just deny the fact of like the changing composition of capital over the last hundred years, which has dramatically changed from industrial capital to finance capital. Mm-hmm. That's just like undeniable. That's just an objective That's fact. That's a fact. Yeah. I mean, even if globally the proportions are all the same, right. there's the same amount of finance, there's the same amount of commercial capital, there's the same amount of industrial capital, same amount of working class, productive labor and unproductive labor. The distribution is undeniably changed. Right, right. And that means geographically there's more finance here and less heavy productive industry. Well, and finance is also just more powerful now, mm-hmm. I think. And that's remarkable because his, his thesis um, is that imperialism is the era of finance capital. Well, um, let's come back to this. In we'll, fact. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this. We'll let's just let's, go, let's, let's just go point by point by these five points. And that can just be how we proceed. Mm-hmm. So the first point is about this protests and strikes in Poland, which, you know, as people may know, there were, big anti-abortion um, measures passed in Poland. Um, and so they say, we think that those protests and strikes in opposition to those offer important opportunities for socialists, whereas you guys characterize these as liberalism. So no, nobody characterized, I don't know. Um, so I wasn't there for this debate, so I'll go I first. I can imagine Daniel calling it liberalism. Um, May I just try to clarify what that was? Yeah, go for it. The point was, and you had another similar point about this mm-hmm. topic. What I said was, um, what does, so we're talking about abortion. A lot of people talk about abortion. What distinguishes us here and now uh, from liberals? My grandmother could have this conversation. She could have an opinion about it. Like, what is specific about us and our take on this, which distinguishes us from other people who think X, Y, Z about abortion. Mm-hmm. Liberals think women should have the right to choose, let's say. But they're liberals. I mean, 
if you're going to be a socialist about this, what makes your take particularly socialist? If you're just talking about abortion, like why? Why is a socialist even talking about this? What's socialist about it? Like we don't need to be having this conversation unless we bring something special, the socialist take on it. Mm-hmm. And that's what was lacking. And second point, <clears throat> I wasn't there, but generally what's going to be brought up again and again in my overarching like complaint um, or grievance with the organization is I often ask in these meetings about anything. Um, what are we doing here in Chicago about this? Okay. So there are protest strikes going on in Poland in response to anti-abortion legislation. Let's say you even have a Marxist point of view on how to engage with this problem. My question is, how are we putting that point of view into action to aid the women in Poland who are being affected by this anti-abortion legislation? Or are we just discussing horror stories to get ourselves riled up? What is the revolutionary application to this information in the context of applying aid from Chicago? Yeah, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about stuff in Poland? What are we going to do about it? And I believe there probably are things we can do about it, but that wasn't discussed. So that's point number one for me. Well, but isn't also, I mean, wasn't one of the issues with Poland in particular is that they had elected and voted for a government that was, you know, in a reductive sense, economically left, but socially right. Correct. And that was a big, you know, that was like a big scare for a lot of people. Um, So, I mean, isn't that sort of, isn't that kind of the, the discourse that it's kind of falling in in some ways? Uh, I think that would have been an interesting contribution to make um, if you had been there Mm. and you could have said like, you know, working people understand um, political economy enough to know what their economic interests are. Right. And uh, they're voting governments that are, let's say, economically socialist and uh, culturally conservative. You could have made all kinds of interesting points. I mean, for us, it just, yeah, it didn't. It wasn't terribly enlightening and there's nothing we can do about it. So that was the complaint. Like we're not, this isn't particularly socialist. So I I mean, I guess maybe one question is what is the, what would the socialist take be? Do you think there is one? Let me just bounce that right back to you. I mean, I tell, I can tell you got something on your mind. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought about, I, I mean, I think about this a lot and I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know what it would mean to make it a particularly socialist mm. um, take on the, on the abortion issue outside of understanding it is first and foremost, a problem of class, you know what I mean? Rather than just an individual, right? Well, that's the thing. I think ultimately it is just liberalism behind there. The opinion is people ought to have these rights mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what people vote for. It doesn't matter what happens in government. It doesn't, nothing matters except that people ought to have these and they don't. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you could go to, um, basically it's a labor issue. So now women are in the labor market. It's been that way for a long time, if nobody knew. And um, this limits their options within that labor market. It right. gives them a, 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 a choice that is untenable. Um, we're going to make you um, participate in motherhood against your will. 
Um, and um, that's that's law, which means that it's going to limit your participation in the labor market. So while you have to be mothers, you're not going to be able to expand on your skills and mm-hmm. a job. You're not going to be able to progress mm-hmm. in any employment that you have. Mm-hmm. You're not going to you're not going to be able to participate as a worker. Mm-hmm. So it is anti-workers rights. Um, well, how did wait back up and unpack that? My, my first thought was neoliberalism would want women to get abortions so they can work and not be. Oh, uh, sure. But also, if you're talking about in a socialist society, you want that option to be open to women because you want them to be able to participate in any labor activities that go on in society um, to the best of their ability. Okay. Um, so it is a workers' rights issue, um, both in the interim between capitalism and socialism and in a socialist society. So let's say you had workers' ownership of the means of production and you still had someone outlaw or uh, basically say that um, abortion is um, illegal. So let's say you had a market type of socialism. Let, let's get to it because that's what we generally uh, talk about advocating for. That's what we're generally in favor of uh, for the as most part. As a transitional part, as a transition. phase, at least. Um, and in that system, if these women are brought out of the enterprise of going to work because they are forced to be mothers, that means that they aren't able to acquire the dividends of the labor inside of you know, the labor market. So if they belong to a company and they have ownership in this company, they're going to lose ownership of that company because they're not going to be able to participate. They're going to be brought out of being workers and they're going to be brought into the realm of being mothers. Yeah. But if you're in an economy where you get what you need and you do what you can, basically Mm -hmm. that's the to each according to his need from each according to his ability. I mean, very abstract formula, but if you're in an economy where you get what you need and you do what you can, whether or not you have the right to an abortion, I mean, this is all just confusion. A right, a person's right to X. That's the way things look inside a republic. That's why it's just liberalism. It's bourgeois liberalism. And, you know, if you just think women should have the right to an abortion, that's fine. So do I. But let's not pretend like we're super radical socialists about this. Right. There's, well, nothing, I mean, wrong with, there's nothing wrong with advocating a liberal policy. But why do you have to dress it up in the red Trotsky suit? I mean... Mm. But you can, I mean, you can advocate for it in the Red Trotsky suit if you want to. I'm What I'm saying is that they, knowing this organization, knowing the people who presented this, they did not do that. They mm-hmm. did not present it in a, with a class analysis. They didn't present it with an economic analysis. Mm-hmm. They weren't not. talking about the participation of women in the labor force. They were talking about it as a purely civil rights issue. Right. I can say that without even being there. And if any of them listen to it, they know I'm correct. They, they know it. Well, but the question is, why why even do it? I mean, a liberal interest group could do that. Why? What do we bring to the table when we do that? It's fine. Let them do it. Great. Not opposing it. But we're not contributing anything here except noise. It, it's also, you can co-opt a liberal, liberal movement and interject a socialist, a, you know, a class analysis to it for recruitment purposes. Well, that's so, their whole approach. And it doesn't work because liberals will not be co-opted. More importantly, these people are just liberals who, you know, nowadays, since the socialist industry started in 2016, it's not good enough to be a liberal. You got to be radical. Mm-hmm. It's, I think people, you know, they're, they're basically liberals, but they want to be more. You know, it's not just a, it's like Korean food, the bibimbap or whatever. It's not just a bowl of rice. It's got an egg on top. You know, I'm not just a liberal. I got an egg on top. I'm radical. But I mean, even if you're participating in the radical part of it, the radical part is the action, which means that you have to. What are you doing about this? Mm -hmm. Are you telling women who are working 
to be in solidarity with women who are forced to get these abortions by going on strike? What are you doing to affect the economy? You know, how are There's you applying can do. any radical tools? We can't do anything for people in Poland in this. I mean, in this case, I mean, it you seems can do something like the BD, the 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 the, the business divestment. Uh, but it's a boycott, basically. Yeah, you could do a boycott in the United States. Bo- Same thing they did boy- with apartheid. You could do. You could use tools like that I'm as gonna, a revolutionary. I mean, a boycott kielbasa and Polish pickles or whatever. I mean, whatever the fuck they import export from Poland, you know. Uh, workers, <laughs> you can't. I'm not going to employ a Polish person. I mean, that. that's prejudice. Uh, that's uh, discrimination. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was just going to say. It seems to me that the social, the the abortion issue. It seems to me that you know, and this would be this is a question of fact. You know, you'd be able to probably find research on this. Is you know, one of the questions is you know how many abortions are elective and how many of them are done out of necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, and I imagine a good significant amount of abortions are done because women are oftentimes too poor to have start a family. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a, that is a class issue. Mm-hmm. Rich women never have to worry about that. They'll always have safe abortions. They'll and, always have a safe, even if it's, you know, they'll pay a doctor, you know what I mean? And, but they'll and hire a nanny. Or right. Right. And, and poor women, aside from the fact that they're likely working a precarious job situation that, um, you know, becoming a mother would impact. They also don't have access to reliable childcare or healthcare, you know? So, I mean, all of those things are kind of a a part of it. Um, But it seems to me that the discussion is often just framed around the right that one ought to be able to have one, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, that's a liberal position, Mm -hmm. individual liberties. That's, that's what liberalism means. You limit the power of the absolute state sovereign so the individuals have liberty to dispose of their property and their person as they wish. And I like that, you know, you have a, you have a coffee. I have a tea. Right. I want that tea. I don't want a coffee now. And that's my individual liberty. That's great. But let's not pretend that's socialism. I mean. Right. Right. Sure. Can okay. I say one final thing about that? Sure. Um, present. So. This is going to be, this is going to continue throughout this discussion um, mm-hmm. when they say um, that the legislation offer important opportunities for socialists, mm. but they never, never say what those opportunities are. Mm-hmm. So they're framing it as if we disagree with the anti-abortion legislation when that's not the case. And they, right. no, they don't offer anything that we could disagree with. Mm -hmm. There really is no statement to disagree with here. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with how they frame everything. It becomes doctrinal. It doesn't become debatable. Mm -hmm. This isn't even, this isn't even at the level of an opinion because it offers no basis in any Mm -hmm. example or fact. Mm -hmm. So, well, when you frame it up so that it's so obvious that no one could disagree, then basically what you're doing is saying is if you disagree, you're unreasonable, shut up. Mm -hmm. And, and when I say, well, basically you framed this in a liberal way, whatever your opinion is about it, I mean, then that's going to fall on me and they're going to say, well, shut up, mm-hmm. which is basically what this is about. They want conformism. And if you don't conform, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's do point number two, which is that we disagree with the idea that, quote, teachers are not workers. We think this points to broader disagreements about the composition and role of the working class, which if left unresolved, will impact our ability to intervene in struggles around budget cuts and the public sector. Mm-hmm. I have a very hard time believing that either of you ever said that teachers are not workers. 
Well, your intuitions are correct. I did not say that teachers are not workers. And this is one of those instances where it's like... It seems that they misunderstood what you're actually trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens. That happens. And uh, the question is, is it intentional or is it right, unintentional? Uh, so go, go ahead and are you, say what you How do you put say. it? Are you, how do you, are you, are, are you, you lying? Or are you stupid? Something <laughs> like that. Right. So what did you, what were you actually saying? So what I was saying was that um, we shouldn't ha- entertain any illusions about um, a fight against capital where that means teachers going on strike because teachers who are paid out of um, public state revenue they're not being paid out of capital and their surplus labor, the exploitation, whatever you want to call it, isn't flowing into capital either because it's public sector stuff. They are what Marx calls unproductive labor. Um, and so they're, you know, it's it's not productive labor. It's necessary and it's useful, but it's not productive. Right. Um, and I, and uh, because it doesn't produce surplus value, it serves a necessary function, but it doesn't produce surplus value. Mm-hmm. Right. That's all you were saying. Yeah, that's that's all I was saying. But yeah, basically. they took that to mean like they're not good workers or something. Yes, just to be precise, on page six forty four of Capital Volume One, the Penguin Edition, Mark says the only worker who is productive is one who produces surplus value for the capitalist. And on page one thousand forty four, he says, for instance, Milton, who wrote the book Paradise Lost, was an unproductive worker. On the other hand, a writer who turns out work for his publisher and factory style is a productive worker because he produces capital directly. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, Thaddeus also had something about this, um, about, well, I mean, the focus on the public sector is also curious from the perspective of the PMC issue, because also our ability to intervene in struggles around budget cuts in the public sector, because first of all, they're always just trying to intervene in other people's stuff. It's like party crashers. You show up at someone else's birthday and you talk about yourself. Mm-hmm. Nobody's nobody's interested in that. So, and why the public sector? For Christ's sake, that's not capital. So, if you have a strike and you disrupt schools, you're not disrupting capital. Like you, you need. We need to understand that. Mm-hmm. That's a fact about the world. It's about the economy. So, um, I think kind of what I was saying to this is, um, I was there when we intervened in the teacher strike, um, and it was not successful. And I was there when we intervened in the defund the police movement and kind of uh, we're going to go over this more later. So I'll, I'll, I'll save some some heat. And um, basically, my problem is, is that um, we don't actually intervene in these struggles properly. We kind of co-opt them where mm-hmm. we went into the defund the police movement. And I had a conversation with H and um, we'll call the person H. Yeah, yeah. We'll call the person H. And uh, what they said was um, uh, what I, what I said to them was that if we get involved in a black civil rights matter, we need to go in for the black civil rights matter. And what this is about is police violence against black people in black communities. Mm-hmm. And what they turned it into was defund the police to pay for schools mm-hmm. to create more jobs for PMC people like them. And, and, and that isn't even the overarching point It's the point that there are arguably more effective ways to stop police violence than funding schools. You can argue that point that funding schools can help stop police violence, but 
The problem is that people in precarious situations are victimized by police. Um, and we're talking about we need housing. We need money into these communities. And we just generally need the, st- the cops to stop shooting people. Mm-hmm. And um, the teachers become a peripheral issue. This mm-hmm. was not a demand made by the movement. It becomes a peripheral issue. And when you bring that to the forefront, you are effectively co-opting the movement and making what you deem most important the focus, which devalues yeah. the real focus. I mean, this is about black people getting killed. Right. right. Which is going to turn off the people who are the leaders of the movement. And it's going to make people do you think you're you're weird and using them and stuff. Yeah. What well, I mean, have we even I mean, have they even bothered to ask people in those communities if they want police funds to be funneled into, you know, school public schools or something? I mean, Hell no, they haven't. <laughs> right. I and mean, I'm going to tell you what I proposed other than our major proposal that me and Daniel did was that we go out. This was a small thing. This was one of those things where I threw up, you know, I'm going to throw this against the wall type of deal. Why don't we go out and engage with the community by volunteering in, you know, communities and then through the volunteering, you build relationships and you can talk to politics um, to people and building power through building relationships. Right. And what what, who we're going to call C said to me is what is it going to look like if a white guy goes out and starts preaching to people about what they should and should not do? And what I told him is this isn't going to be a white guy going out and preaching to them. This is going to be a white guy in their community that Mm -hmm. they know, Mm -hmm. giving them advice that they trust. Mm -hmm. And that goes to the disconnect, the antisocial aspect of how they engage people in general. They're never they they're never going to ask people what they think they should do. They're going to ask them what they think about their slogans. Mm -hmm. That's going to be the limit of what type of, you know, opinions that they take from regular working class people. They're not going to do any poll testing as to what movements they will engage in. They're just going to ask them, do you think we're right about this? And if they're told that they're not, they're just going to say that the consciousness of those people is not there yet. At the end of the day, like somebody else in the organization, let's call him Kay. Kay said, don't go with the defund the police thing because that doesn't work with working people. They, that doesn't, like, if you have to explain it, it's bad politics. It won't work if you have to explain it. It's politics. Right. Because most people just assume no, that means no police at all. Right. 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 And if you have to explain it, then you've lost the attention of the audience. Um, well, the response from, let's call him M, who's in leadership, he said, well, the problem with Kay is basically that his consciousness isn't developed enough. And this is the sort of like weird psycho manipulative cult shit that we'll get into later but but that's what you get if you don't agree then you then it goes into ad hominem stuff yeah basically against the person yeah i'm not wrong you're just you just haven't figured out that i'm right yet you yeah you have (laughs) stunted consciousness basically is the idea yeah and and why bring in the c word because this is all just about opinions Mm -hmm. um should we uh move on to the next one all right so where are we at three three You have argued against the transitional program going so far as to say during a discussion on our comrades intervention in the stop and shop strike that we are too worried about substitutionism to play a leading role in movements and that we quote tail end movements. What do they mean? What do they mean by tail end? Or or substitution. This This is a big thing. Yeah. I will will go in my bag. I don't actually, I'm, I don't know what either of those, what they they mean either by either of those. So what they mean by tail end movements is that we, 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 um, 
you know, said that they, uh, you know, um, um, they 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 participate in tailism, which means that um, they don't actually engage in movements from the beginning to end. They come in at the end when mm. the movement has already generated steam um, and has reached a precipice where it generates action. And then they want to participate and insert their politics into that action, which I'm saying is it's another way of saying that they try to co-op movements. And let's go back to the beginning. Um, arguing against the transitional program, uh, going as far to say that our discussion, whatever. I mean, so the we transitional got three program. pieces of jargon. Transitional right. program, tailism, and uh, substitutionism. And this, the jargon is so thick in these meetings. It's like, it's like, what do you call it? Like cult mind. Little, this doctrine. Yeah. Well, it's totally doctrinaire, but it's also like a self-enclosed echo chamber bubble. Mm-hmm. It's an e- it's 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 a dialect that you have to learn. Yeah. So yeah. idiolect. How, it's not an idiolect is is, is personal. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a dialect that you have to learn. It's a pidgin language. So in anthropology, um, that's what it would be called. It's when it's not really English, but it's not. Um, it's like if you had. So when you have the French go into like um, Jamaica or wherever or the British, mm. and they insert their language, you're not going to get exactly English or whatever the native language was. Mm. You're going to get a pigeon. Mm-hmm. And another way to talk about it is in architecture. Um, I had a professor who used to often say, you need to learn the language of architectonics. Mm. And it's a language that people understand in that certain field, you know, um, that other people don't understand. And they tend to present things as if they've already explained these things. So talking about the transitional program. I have read the transitional program and this gets to another point about the organization in general. Mm -hmm. Um, They talk about it going against the transitional program. And first they didn't give an example from the transitional program that we're in opposition to. So I'm Mm going to point that out again. Mm -hmm. They never give examples. And two, um, when you read the transitional program, it really doesn't have anything to do with the stop and shop, um, uh, Strike, except for the idea of promoting unions because they're the centers of uh, radicalism mm-hmm. as far as class goes, mm-hmm. because it's the center of where people um, organize. Mm-hmm. And that's changed over time uh, as the first point. But in general, they don't even adhere to the transitional program themselves. All right. So let's clarify this. Let's step back again, okay. because this is probably hard to wrap ahead around. You, I see your eyes glazing over just... Yeah, I'm a little... Uh... Okay, so transitional program. Trotsky writes an essay. The point is, like, don't be an ultra-leftist utopian fanatic I type. See, yeah, yeah. What you have to do is engage in the struggles of your day and nudge them, direct them, etc., towards um, socialism to mm-hmm. make them a stepping stone on the way. And here's how to do it. Right. 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 So you're not just saying full communism now. Right. You're saying we do fight for wage increases, healthcare, and so on and so forth we understand them as a stepping stone in the struggle towards, um, or a, a move in the struggle towards And it tells socialism. you how to fight for those wage increases. Mm-hmm. But interesting thing is, one of the things he says is we need to um, put all finance and all banks under the state and to have a central, central um, state uh, nationalized financial um, sector, just like MMT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would says basically that's what the Fed already does if we just get rid of the private sector banks. So 
There's a lot of weird stuff in there. They never really say what they mean about this stuff. And then mm. number two on the transitional program and in, in, in talking about wages, the premier fight for a socialist alternative before I got in there. And, and something I think is something they did very well. This is a good point about socialist alternative. The fight for 15. I don't know. People have accused them of tailism in this regard, but I would say. We haven't defined tailism yet. Okay. Uh, they, they, um. Put, they, they said that they kind of came into this movement as they came late mm -hmm. to this movement. What I would argue that even in coming late, they put themselves fully into it. They fought for this. They um, uh, ran um, candidates under this banner. Mm -hmm. So they did well with the Fight for 15. But if you read the transitional program, the Fight for 15 would not be a transitional demand. because in the transition Because in the transitional program, he says that the... Um, Wages to fight for wages isn't enough. You have to tie them to the commodities indices. Mm -hmm. So basically what you would have to do is what people often say is tie the minimum wage to the rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. That was not the demand for mm -hmm. the fight for 15 mm -hmm. necessarily. For some mm -hmm. people it was, but the overarching fight was just to raise wages mm -hmm. to a living wage of $15. And if you were strictly going by the fight for 15, mm -hmm. Or for the, by the transitional program, you would not be engaged in the fight for 15 right, in the way they were. 15 is just a number that was arbitrarily thrown out there and Bernie Sanders said it and it sounds good. So fuck it. We'll fight for a $15 right. an hour minimum wage. Which I think is a good thing. I'm sure. glad they went against the transitional 15, program. $15 in this an hour minimum wage is fine. But I mean, I think what you're saying is they should do the homework, learn how the economy works, figure out what the real wage is and tie the demand that they're making to the actual fucking economy. Instead of just moralizing like a carnival barker on the corner screaming at people, mm -hmm. these crazy opinions and slogans. Like I'm, I'm also saying that this is going to get to a point we're going to make often again, is that if you are participating in sloganeering or rhetoric um, or discourse and your discourse, your, your analysis of the theory is wrong, that's fine as long as the preceding actions are effective mm -hmm. in making gains for the working class. Mm -hmm. The fight for 15 was a case of that, mm -hmm. right? The analysis of the transitional program was wrong, mm -hmm. but the fight for 15 and what it's gained for the working class mm -hmm. was effective and it was a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I would say the doctrinaire attitude, it, it leads me to the, 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 the question that they don't even adhere to the things that they tell people are core to their organization. No, it's just formulaic, formulaic, rigid application of ready-made ideas that they right. don't understand. So let's just say this super clearly. You said it earlier on the phone. You think it's okay if either if you either apply the theory incorrectly, but there's effective action, or you get the theory right, but you don't actually do anything. You don't don't make anything worse. But you can't be wrong on both. You need to be right on at least one. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to like not know what you're talking about, but do something good, that's fine. And if you're going to know what you're talking about, but not go out and do stupid stuff, that's also fine. But if you don't know what you're talking about and it doesn't work, then that's not fine. And that's, that's I think, going back to the discussion about abortion in Poland, we don't really know what we're talking about and we're not doing anything. And that's the real problem. Mm -hmm. um, but just to clarify, finally, um, substitutionalism, when they talk about it, is basically like, do we put someone in the place of the working class to do the work for mm. them? It basically means liberal representationism. I see. Like you, you elect, you elect someone to do, to do that work for them instead of them doing it for themselves. Right, right. And then tailism is basically like an ambulance chaser. Mm -hmm. You, you don't, 
take any initiative. You don't do any leadership. You just follow the train wreck and agitate people on whatever issues. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying here is that, um, um, something about a comment I made, I said, you know, you just want to rile up stop and shop workers because that's how you understand political action. But you don't see that this is futile because, uh, low skill labor is easily fired and replaced. And they're so worried about this little battery of Marxist vocabulary and jargon. They're so worried about avoiding substitutionism that they totally miss the forest for the trees and they don't see that it doesn't fucking matter. Like organizing some stop and shop workers doesn't make a slight, slightest dent in capital. Mm -hmm. Well, let's even go into how they organize the stop and shop workers. Let's even say that um, by the way they wrote it. So all we did in that branch was go over their analysis of the efficacy of the stop and shop movement. So there was no outside like, okay, here's the critique of how we did this and we're going to look at both and we're going to figure out where are the merits and demerits. That didn't happen. It was very internal. And my thing is, even if you look at how we internally do it and you come to the conclusion that the stop and shop movement was effective, um, the reason why it was effective is because this was a, you know, a, a franchise of, mm -hmm. you know, stores and they did not have any leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, so what Tosta's alternative was capable of by their analysis was we went in and we effectively politicized it by becoming leaders in the strike because they really did not know how to implement a strike effectively, mm -hmm. which was them functionally filling a void of leadership. Now, again, my critique on this was how do we bring this to Chicago? And again, I was involved with the organization in the teacher strike and what we we couldn't do was effectively fill a void of leadership because the teachers union in Chicago has leadership. They have mm -hmm. leadership mm -hmm. that is far more effective than socialist alternative yeah. is capable of whether we agree with them or not. They're just far more capable. So what I said is we need to find a void that we can fill. Maybe we need to be in the position of advocating with parents Mm -hmm. With the teachers who might not agree with what the teachers are doing. Mm -hmm. And some of the pushback I get is that, well, like 75% of parents agree. That's fine. But 25% is a large opposition. And if you could have people from the community go out and advocate for you, mm -hmm. that doesn't, if the teachers do that, it kind of looks opportunist. Mm -hmm. But if people from the community do it, it looks like, okay, these people are explaining this to me on the same level that I'm on. Mm -hmm. It may be heard very differently. And I was like, do you guys have flyers that we can go out and we can talk to people around the community? People in Socialist Alternative, I don't know whether or not they wanted to do that. They completely did not hear it. And when we were on that strike, there were no debriefs, proper debriefs after it. It was pretty much like going on a date every day. Well, yeah. What they do is they just go and show up and chat people up at the picket line. Like, you know, just yeah, chit chat. I mean, what the... What? And effectively for the organization, it wasn't even effective because they didn't even recruit anyone. And then they chastise the if you don't show up because you think it's not effective. But we showed up... We showed up after it stopped. Nobody told us it stopped. They, it's like it just falls apart every time. It falls apart. And it's just, it's a farce. I mean, why, tell me, Adam, why do, are the leftists obsessed with teachers? Why are they obsessed with teachers? Yes. <clears throat> Public sector workers aren't employed by capital. What is the fixation? Like, you're not disrupting capital. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that they've internalized a lot of merit 
meritocratic mm-hmm. ideas about, I mean, education is good. Don't get me wrong. I'm a teacher. I support, um, you know, any kind of measure that's going to make education, you know, more accessible and mm-hmm. what have you. But it seems to me that like, you know, we live in a country where still, you know, most people don't go to college. Mm-hmm. You know, most people aren't particularly concerned with that. And I don't, I don't know. It just seems to me that they, you know, I don't know, maybe they've all sort of internalized the idea that like, is a sort of false consciousness. You know what I mean? Like you have to get workers to the point where they can understand their situation. And the only way you can do that is if Mm. they're educated enough to understand Mm. their situation. Which is kind of like a vulgar liberal prejudice. Mm -hmm. Like the reason why things suck is because workers are too stupid. They're uneducated. And education is the solution to everything. Right. I guarantee you that somebody who has to manage a household knows the burden of fucking capitalism better than you do. Yeah. Yeah. Guaranteed. Well, you mean better than a, a sort of PMC leftist who spends their time reading um, weird magazine, weird Who says uh, to me that newspapers. people aren't worried about getting foreclosed on. They're worried about getting evicted and having moved back to their parents. Who the fuck? Into their parents' house. <laughs> and then I say- Please unpack. And then I say, well, guess what? They're going to move back into their parents' house and then their parents are going to get foreclosed on and then where are they going to go? Mm-hmm. No answer. Well, that crickets. kid, that kid, yeah, crickets. That's right. That kid thinks of it that way because that kid can go back to their parents. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the thing. Like, just PMC left, right. They didn't even think it through. Down, is my front. statement. You don't even have to get to the point of talking about their class, even. I mean, that's important. Class that position. They, yeah. they have that opportunity to go live back with their parents, <laughs> but they don't understand that their parents are under the burden of that system too. Yeah. And when their parents are crushed, they're out of fucking luck. Mm-hmm. And guess what? For most people, that out of luck position mm-hmm. is default. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's normal. Right. You know. I mean, this is the thing. Get I think, a grip, man. This is the thing. I think the squishy sort of middle class people who gravitate towards so-called socialism, all they understand is school. They spent their whole life in school. The solution to problems is more education. It's the center of the universe. It's like the earth going around the sun. School is sun. Well, I mean- Like the light. Well, right. I mean, but think about, I think about like my own trajectory growing up working class and I hated work. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to fucking go to work. I didn't Mm want to go to a job. Mm -hmm. And- so what's your option? Well, maybe I'm good at school. It turns out that I was good at school. Mm-hmm. You know, school is the alternative to work and for a lot of people because mm-hmm. it's, if you're in school, you don't really have to work because you're in school. School is a job. You know, people, you know, you fill out that as a census, you know, vacation. Like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's not an it's actual, it's not an actual job, but you know, you know, it's funny when you fill out like census forms, it's like occupation, oh, right, student, right? right? right. Self-employed student. Right, right. Pu- and and I think worker. it's just, it's sort of like, you know, School and and education is a sort of um, safe haven from mm-hmm. having to do the dirty work, mm-hmm. you know? Right. People would rather die than go back to work. Yeah. Uh, or go to work for the first time yeah. because they're above it. Um, and the funny thing is, like, people get really upset and they'll say, you're not a Marxist for saying this because there's only one working class. Everyone's in it. Um, but, I mean, that's just how a person, that is unproductive labor. That is the standpoint of unproductive labor. Like people who would work in wholesale, retail, advertising, 
marketing, uh, paralegals, teachers, all these people, they have a class standpoint too. Mm -hmm. And if all you can understand is school, that might be because of your class standpoint. Indeed, that's the standpoint of people who do unproductive labor. And it's no coincidence that these people can only think about unproductive laborers. Mm -hmm. They think about retail workers yeah, and they think about teachers because that's who they fucking are. Yeah. And kind of to cap this point, this was a, a branch meeting we had. And my point um, to the branch meeting was we're talking about this. Why? At this moment in time, we have this historical document. It'll be there forever. What, which one? The, 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 the stop and shop mm. um, movement, right? The analysis mm. of the stop and shop uh, um, um, protest or not protest, uh, strike. Um, and we have that forever. We can go to it anytime we want. Why are we going to it now? Um, what are we using this for? What is it preparing us for? What are the lessons that we're going to apply directly to whatever action we're going to be engaged in that this information is pertinent to? And every time... There's nothing. It's seen as opposition, not as, you know, someone trying to help prep us or to, and to, you know, act on, on, on these issues. Because I think it came in line with, um, uh, what is, what is the coffee shop? Collectivo? Mm-hmm. Collectivo. Mm-hmm. Collectivo. There, there's a young lady that. who works at Collectivo and they're organizing. And we were reading this, I think, in relation to that. But we never discussed how the rest of us engage in that Collectivo strike. We were just kind of stroking ourselves. That's, but that's the whole approach, um, though. In addressing this, it was like someone was like, ooh, uh, you're involved in a strike right now? We're going to tell you about this time we were Have involved in a strike. Have you ever heard of socialism? Right. <laughs> and it's like they never addressed how the rest of us could help this young person in engaging in the fight that and they were in. And ultimately, they want you to stay out of it so that they can so that they can just tell that person what they ought to do, think, and believe. Yeah. Um, So just, I think to like, kind of wrap this up to the extent that there's truth in Trotsky's essay, it's obvious. Like, don't be some wacko fanatic who thinks full communism now or nothing. Like you transition to improved um, political economic conditions, but ultimately I don't care. I don't care what he, I don't care what he says, because what matters is what is the case, right? The truth Mm -hmm. is what matters and what's effective matters. And there's no sense in arguing for or against some damn program. The point is just like, we need to understand how the world is. And these obsessions about substitutionism and tail, tail, tailism, I mean, it's, it's all just kind of silly. Like, I mean, they're so worried. They're so worried that someone will take the initiative and lead and substitute themselves for the working class that they're like ambulance chasers, basically mm-hmm. talking about Trotsky and working people don't care about Trotsky or substitutionism, any of this shit. Yeah. Hmm. They don't care about socialism. They don't care about socialism. That's the hardest thing. Show don't tell. Yeah. It's the hardest thing for a Marxist to understand. Is that the most people don't give a damn about. Right. All right. So number four, we think our international, the international socialist alternative offers an adequate analysis of the development of Stalinism including in Yugoslavia under Tito, an analysis on the development of reformism, including Keynesianism. So why bring in Tito? This is all you, Daniel. This what is, the fuck is this? This is, this, this is what I mean. Like, it's like mystery. It's like 
you know, there's potato salad, there's macaroni salad. Maybe you get a Waldorf salad that's got like apples and grapes and walnuts. Pretty exotic. Like, whoa. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. What's in here? Well, this is fucking mystery meat. This is just like a jibber jabber mix up of stuff. Let me decode it for you. Um, Okay. What's the international? They have answers for everything, basically. And, and we have a reading group where we read, we read what Tito says about worker self-management and profit sharing. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we read some things that Cain says, because even if you disagree with someone, you can learn from what they say. And so you're not supposed to do that. So I think what they're saying, we think our international offers an adequate analysis of Stalinism, including in Yugoslavia under Tito, an analysis of development of reformism, including Keynesianism. We already have all the answers. You don't need to read this stuff. And you don't need to encourage anyone else to read it. So oh, stop, That's the point. stop trying to get people to understand other things than socialist alternative brand uh, cheese. Like if you're going to make macaroni, right. you have to make socialist alternative brand macaroni and you have to make it with socialist alternative brand cheese mm-hmm. and socialist alternative brand milk. And- you know what? I mean, this is just the epitome of the bullshit. I mean that in like the technical sense. It's like bluffing their way through just bogus sophistry and charlatanism. Like what they're suggesting is that Tito in Yugoslavia was Stalinism. Stalin tried to kill Tito. Hmm. And and Tito was a non-aligned. He was in, Yugoslavia was in the non-aligned pack. Right. And they're the only place, they're the only place where socialism seemed to not be a miserable hellhole and seemed to work. Tito was very beloved. Yes. That's that's what I know. So that's all I can say about this Plus, roadkill of a comment. I just don't so it's, I'll, it's, I'll a, end. it's also just a weird it's also just a weird thing to include in their bullet points. It's directly because we had a reading group on Tito. Okay. And okay. um they saw that in something and they didn't want to engage in the reading group. They weren't there um in the reading group. Mm-hmm. They like Daniel said, they just want to dictate what we can and cannot talk about. And my point uh, another point with this to like cap it off is just the overarching way they approach everything. Um we think our international, the International Socialist Alternative offers an adequate analysis of the developments of Stalinism. dot 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 they don't offer any example of the analysis. Mm-hmm. What is right. the analysis? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They your just analysis. say our well, they just say our politics all the time. And it's incumbent on you at that point to explain the analysis. They didn't even put in a footnote of where to read the article I got of this analysis. So you saw my footnotes. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't I can't do anything with that statement. You're making a claim and then you're not proving the claim. Yeah. You're not even giving me a way for me to engage with the claim. And that's the bullshit they do all the time. I can't even engage with this statement. Mm-hmm. It's well, yeah, a non-starter. But that's the thing. I mean, even the way it's phrased, we think. Who is we? Am I included in we? Is it the royal we? Is it the three people, four people that this email was sent from? Is it Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? It's the realm. It's the Pope. Like you but said, it's the just Father, the, Son, They're just the stating an opinion there. Yeah. Number four is just an opinion. But that's the thing, man. You that's know all they I mean? got it's is just opinions. like, we think, you know, this is our preference, actually. How do you can't disagree with someone's preference? That's like, you're wrong. Well, you say you like mustard. I mean, if you said mustard is better than ketchup, at least you'd give me a, a 
a proposition, right. which is like truth apt. Yeah. It could have a truth value, true or false. And then I could contest that and say, well, actually you're, you're wrong. Ketchup is better than mustard. Of course, I'd be an idiot for saying that Yeah, because preferences aren't backed true or false. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least that'd be something. But this is just, I mean, this is not an argument. No, it's not. They're just stating an opinion. And this is the thing. It's an invitation to conform. Because on the one hand, we're radical revolutionaries and we we dissent. But on the other hand, we're deeply conformist. Mm-hmm. And like, why are you dissenting? Hmm. I mean, and, and, and in the margin, I've written WTF because of this example. There's this thing they kept pushing us to go to, to pay, to sign up, to go to this thing. Virtual Marxist University and national conventions and stuff. Well, I went to one meeting. It was actually quite interesting. It was about a debate that's going on in the organization about the end of neoliberalism. There's a guy, um, call him, we'll call him Tom C because that's the name on the article on the webpage. He says, neoliberalism's over. A variety of Keynesianism is coming back. It's just absurd. And it's so vague that it's not even clear what it means or how it could be right or wrong. Mm -hmm. But there is a debate within the organization and there's, there are people in Greece and Spain who say, well, this is wrong. And it's just like optimistic sloganeering and like doctrinal, uh, it's just, it's just banter. It's mm-hmm. not an analysis. It's just propaganda. And they said, let's have a debate. Cause you put this down under our name. Like we really, like we is everybody in this organization. And you say, this is ours. Mm-hmm. Well, people don't agree with that. They said, let's have a debate. They only had this one debate. And they were not prevent. They were not permitted to publish a dissenting view. They tried twice, and they were not permitted. To, like these are informed people who know something about economics, not just, not just opinion barking. Um, um, you know, like extra, extra. Read all about it. I mean, that's basically what yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. All right. The last point. Adam, tell a joke, please. Tell a joke. I don't have any jokes. I know it's okay. This is all a joke. This is a joke. So what's next? Well, the next point um, is very long and deals with MMT. So basically, oh, it's got it's got my favorite line of the whole thing in it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we disagree with the ideas of modern monetary theory and the anti-Marxist left bourgeois economist, Michael Hudson. During the debate over your rent and mortgage moratorium proposal, you seem to be calling for socialist alternatives to take sides in a struggle between allegedly different wings of the ruling class. Allegedly different wings. It's funny. Finance capital versus industrial capital. Using an analysis that was long ago outdated, as outlined in Lenin's imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism. At one point during the discussion, Daniel stated that ending capitalism could mean going out of the frying pan and into the fire because the victory of finance capital and the so-called fire sector, finance, insurance, and real estate, would mean a descent into neo-feudalism. Okay. What was your what was your favorite line? Oh, what's 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 my favorite line? Um, we disagree with the ideas of modern monetary theory and the anti-Marxist left bourgeois economist Michael Hudson. Damn, damn, right? Man, they served so, him. He right? got served. So my thing with this is, Booyah. Um, is 
You always have to make someone absolutely evil. And my whole thing is, if you're going to, like, insult somebody, right, you you could offer a little bit of a compliment with it. Like, they could, you do a for example... What is it? A, a, um, in, 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 when you write an essay, you write a, a concession clause or something? Right, right, right. Like, they could have, instead of just said the anti-Marxist, you know, left bourgeois economist, they could have said, you know, the big dick anti-Marxist left bourgeois economist, <laughs> right? Just give him a little bit of an up. You know, yeah. so he's not an absolute villain, you know. It's, but, it, it's, you know, what's interesting to me, though, is that that phrasing, the anti-Marxist left bourgeois economist, it sort of calls into question whether or not um, Marxist economics mm-hmm. is a thing. Right. What do you like, mean? What, what would Marxist economics mean? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Like separate from, say, classical economics right or you mean like mainstream neoclassical stuff right supply right. demand right curves. like the idea that marx has a has um a specific like doctrine or a specific mm-hmm. um approach well i mean he does have a specific approach but like the idea that there's some po- set of policies that are would qualify as marxist economics seems to me sort of wrong right I'm still not sure if I understand. Can you unpack it some more? Like, um, you know, you could say, if, so you have something like Milton Friedman. Okay. Right? Gotcha. Neoliberal guy. Yeah. Milton Friedman, he's a neoliberal guy. He's advocating- So he says, if you got unemployment, it's because the wages of some people are too high. You lower their wages and you disperse the same amount of money equally. Everybody gets a job, but they all get less. Right. Ta-da. That's his kind of theory. Right. And it seems to me that what Marx was doing, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like Marx is basically analyzing- the system of social relations that is capital mm-hmm. and following it basically to its logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. This was his form of critique. Mm-hmm. That's, it's a very different project than what someone like Milton Friedman is doing. Right. That's yeah. You know what definitely, I mean? Yeah. And so then, so to say that someone is an anti-Marxist economist just seems like a weird claim to make. It's, it's also kind of like when, you know, people who promote intelligent design say Darwinian evolution. When there's well, yeah. only one type of evolution, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's evolution. Yeah, Lamarckism is no longer a thing. You know, it's like it's not like there are non-Darwinian evolutions. Exactly. Or evolutionary theories. Except the intelligent design well, people. Well, this is this is one of those moments where it's like, you know, I mean, we've all been there. Nobody's above it. There was that time once, whether in high school or later, you didn't read, but you opened your mouth in discussion anyways. Yeah. And you said some shit that sort of indicated to other people you haven't done the reading. To me, this is one of those moments. Like, I still don't get it. The anti-Marxist left bourgeois economist, Michael Hudson, like, they're pushing him down the stairs and then he falls to the bottom, bunk, 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 and then they kick him at the bottom too. Like, but they don't bother to say what that means. Yeah. Well, I would, I would be curious to know who they consider a Marxist economist. That's the thing. You know what I mean? Who is their economist? They don't have one. Because for them, economics is optional. Marxism, I mean, here's the basic picture as far as I've been able, it's been really interesting, although sort of painful and frustrating and exasperating. This is, it's vulgar Marxism, what they have. And that view is basically, you have herds of scared little animals in a world of scarce resources, and they get clubs and they go around and beat each other over the head to fight over the resources. And they call that class struggle. And so there's just politics, there's just conflict. And economics is basically just like, yeah, I mean, you can read Capital if you want to, but you don't even need to. It's just, there's historical materialism and and they don't care about economics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, 
now let's let's get in it because this is directly about um, a proposal that we made to the organization. Yeah, around you could spend a lot of time on this. COVID, we spent a lot of scene, a lot of time. Yeah. Right. And it was a last gas. This was kind of our last effort to see whether or not these people were fucking insane. Well, also like to try to do something, to do something yeah. like more importantly, action. I don't mean selling newspapers and, and sure. And, um, tabling like that Jehovah's witness style shit. You don't have to be a socialist not to sell a newspaper and get on, get out. Jehovah's it. witness style. They're not even as good at it as Jehovah's witnesses. <laughs> Shout out to the Jehovah's witnesses. They fucking figured it out. You don't fucking scream at people or knock on doors. You stand there with the information and the people who are going to come to you who want the glory of God, they will come to you and they will fucking find you. So you don't need to shout at them about the glory of God. That's that's the crazy guy. Yeah, well, that's why people think it's a bunch of weirdos. Um, So so explain the uh, rent and mortgage moratorium proposal. So as everyone knows, there has been a pandemic across the world. And in the United States, we have been dealing (laughs) with it particularly fucking awfully, right? Yeah. Um, You know, in, in in the UK, they offered people two thousand a month. In 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 uh, Canada, they offered them fourteen hundred a month. In France, they offered them up to seventy five hundred a month. Yeah. So that they could stay home, be safe, and keep their fucking economies going. In the United States, we didn't do that. So what was our response? We recognized that there was a problem that people were going to be evicted from their homes and foreclosed on. And what we said is that we need to engage in that fight by extending the moratorium indefinitely. So mm-hmm. first. People can stay in their homes safely. That's the thing that we're doing in service of the people. And then second, when we organize people along those lines, when the debts come due for those mortgages and for that rent, Mm -hmm. we can have the people say, no, we're organized. We're not paying that shit. Mm -hmm. Guess what? The banks are going to pay that shit because guess what? Number one, they've already been paid in stimulus. Mm -hmm. We don't have the money. They do. Mm -hmm. And we have the power, most importantly. That's what we were trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And for that, we were called everything outside of our names. Anti-Marxist that came up again. I mean, basically the idea is this, like, we shouldn't be picking fights with small landlords and mm-hmm. small business owners and shit like that. Because I mean, when it comes to like the pandemic, if if you, if you lose your job because the economy shuts down and you can't pay rent, um, you're going to get thrown out and if you're going to get thrown out cause you can't pay indeed. I mean, but if you're a small, if you have a small landlord, I mean, he's probably still paying a mortgage to the bank. So he's in the same situation as you. So it doesn't do any good to put all that on, on him or her, let's say. And the same thing with small businesses and the same thing with, I mean, even like, I don't know, any or any business that doesn't own the, the shell building that it occupies, right. they're paying rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those landlords, um, I mean, they're not necessarily the ultimate enemy. Who is the final one on, this, on the chain that right. the money's flowing to that, that demands either pay me or get thrown out? Well, it's, it's banks. Mm-hmm. That's one way to put it. Um, it's the finance sector. Right. It's finance capital. And that's yeah. what, that's what fire sector means. Finance, insurance, and real estate, unproductive sector, um, which wants its interest, which is just a share in other people's profits, mm-hmm. revenue. And so, um, so we thought if you're going to, if you're going to be effective, we got to politicize the topic and build power and relations and talk about this stuff instead of just sloganeering about capitalism or the bosses, mm-hmm. we could, Build connections with people who are going to get thrown out, working people. Yeah. And um, not, not, not misdirect people with this lame ass propaganda about 
bosses or cap. I mean, of course it's about capitalism, but I mean, could you be more specific? Like at one point it was even said like people don't, aren't going to understand workers, nice insulting formulation. Workers aren't going to understand what you mean by insult, by um, the banks, by finance capital. It's like, like hell they aren't. They know what banks are, what occupy wall street. Right. Which is one of the founding movements that built the socialist alternative organization. Right. I mean, workers either own a home, in which case they know what banks are because they pay a mortgage Mm -hmm. or they're renting, in which case they probably also know that like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all going to a bank. You know, yeah, okay, you interact directly with your landlord, but mm-hmm. like they at least know it's the one percent that's screwing them, right. which is the finance sector. They the understand is, that Wall these, Street. These kids organizing. Um, it sounds weird to people organizing socialist organizations because I don't know their parents pay their rent. I don't know, or they feel like they got something they can fall back on, or they just don't know anything about how the economy works. Like, so Mm -hmm. they just fall back on this simplistic understanding. I can't understand why. I mean, I got this, what kicked off this whole like deal breaker towards the end of this is I got a message from Shama Sawant, who's the only elected member of socialist alternative and respect to her, got nothing against her. She sent this message where she said, yada, 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 help do this stuff, which is, you know, basically the same proposal that we were trying to do. Um, Right. This is, I'll just read the message I got. Dear Daniel, this is council member Shama Sawant. Tens of thousands of our city's renters have lost jobs or income and have been unable to pay rent. We need the eviction moratorium set to expire December 31st to be renewed in order to prevent a tsunami of evictions. Corporate landlords. That's, that's what the fire sector means, right. by the way. Financialized real estate. Corporate landlords are trying to weaken the moratorium or roll it back entirely. We need a renter's movement to fight back. Please sign and share our petition demanding Mayor Durkin extend and strengthen the eviction moratorium. Cash-rich corporate landlords and Wall Street banks, that means finance capital, if you didn't do your homework, should should pay for the crisis. Not renters, working class homeowners, Mm -hmm. or small landlords, which is precisely what we said. And we were called... They said we're trying to make coalitions with segments of the capitalist class, like make class coalitions. And why should we focus on homeowners? And and why should we make alliances with small landlords? We should be fighting them, organizing in buildings to get renters to do rent strikes because all that they can understand is a strike. And, and the kicker is, is that we didn't even include small landlords in our proposal. And the other bigger thing is we didn't include small businesses in our proposal. So Shama Sawant, her moratorium expands the class dynamic, the, cl- the inc- class inclusion mm-hmm. of our proposal. And they were against the level of inclusion mm-hmm. of homeowners right. and renters, let alone small landlords and small businesses. I mean, basically the idea is we're not genuinely for the working class if we're talking about homeowners or, right. or saying that you shouldn't be fighting with your landlord. I mean, you're not a real Marxist. So, and that goes... That's just, I mean, fighting with your landlord. I mean, this is about class relations. It's not about your individual landlord, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the whole point. Mm -hmm. It's not about your individual boss. Like, that's like, you know, those kinds of individual struggles are, Mm -hmm. you know, they're dead, they're effectively dead ends. And this is the example I gave to T in this instance. We went to a, 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 
a meeting where people were organizing tenants in Hyde Park. And basically, I explained it that it's a bully mentality. Yeah. Okay. You're in the schoolyard. You're getting your ass kicked by this big kid. Um, yeah, you you can you can, you know, learn some kung fu, some martial arts, Krav Maga, whatever your poison is, and you can beat up that bully. You can fight that bully. But guess what? All that does is makes the bully's attention focus on the next victim. That's mm-hmm. all you're going to effectively do with that bully. They're going to go to the next kid who's capable of being a victim and they're going to victimize them. What I offered in opposition is there's even a next level to that, right? You could organize all the kids on the yard to fight that bully, mm-hmm. right? Right. And that's the only way but, you can win. Ultimately. No, no, no. You, that's a win. But even that's a oh, lesser right, right, win, right? right? Yeah. Because you're going to organize all the kids. You're going to fight that bully, that one bully. But you're not going to end bullying. You're not going to end the system of mm-hmm. bullying that happens around America. Mm-hmm. And this was a problem after Columbine in 1999. How do you address the bullying problem? A real fucking problem. Mm-hmm. And what I proposed is, here's the thing you could do on the school level. You could go to the principal and you could start organizing rallies right, to right. end bullying, right. which, you know, stops the bullies from being bullies. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it addresses their problems as well as the people being bullied. But then there's even another level. Jesus. All of those levels. Yeah. All of those principles can organize school districts around America. What they did to have anti-bullying campaigns, because this may be relatively foreign to kids who grew up in grade school after 1999 because this was addressed in America. The anti-bullying campaign, mm-hmm. zero tolerance policies, yeah. and bullying became not nearly as prevalent as it was mm-hmm. when we were going to school. Um, even the difference between um, Daniel and Adam are four years older than I am, three years, four years. And the difference between when I was in grade school and in high school and when they were in and the amount of bullying are very different because of these campaigns. Because people because of Columbine? Or- yeah, because yeah. of Columbine. Yeah. And people organized, we used to have rallies in school, like mm-hmm. people have spirit rallies, mm-hmm. anti-bullying rallies. Mm-hmm. And it was effective. So when you organize on that wider level mm-hmm. and focus on the actual specific problem mm-hmm. and not just the bully, mm-hmm. then you can actually have some change mm-hmm. that changes the lives of those kids. I mean, what you're basically saying to me sounds like you got to understand what the cause is and go to the cause. Go to the cause. And ultimately, in the case of bullies, it's like the household. I mean, yeah. we have there are domestic problems in the country. There's going to be bullies. But I think they just want to kick the shit out of a bully on the schoolyard. They don't actually want to address the problem. Well, there's something, I mean, sticking it to your landlord feels pretty good. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell a kid to not fight their bully directly. Or not want to kill their bully. I mean, that that isn't the end of it. Okay, you beat your bully. That's not the end. They're going to be like, what do you mean that's not the end? Fuck it. My bully's gone. All I can, yeah, all I can understand <laughs> is what I can And that's hard to tell people not to focus on because mm-hmm. their bully is victimizing them. It's hard to tell people to not focus on their landlords because the landlord is the one directly victimizing them. But the landlord is victimizing them like the bully because of the fucking household above them. The banks for the landlord, the parents for the bully mm-hmm. or the home situation. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what you need to address if you want to the end causes. these problems. The, the cause. Mm-hmm. And. Well, that's know, where you need a real theory, a real analysis, not just. Not just propaganda magazine, a propaganda newspaper full of slogans. Mm-hmm. So, like the other point that we brought up earlier, that was in this 
paragraph. Um, where is it? Um, okay. Um, during the debate over rent and mortgage, more, the rent moratorium proposal, you seem to be calling for SA to take sides in a struggle between allegedly different wings of the ruling class, finance capital versus industrial capital, using an analysis that was long ago outdated as outlined in Lenin's imperialism. Yeah. So um, not only has it been a hundred years. Um, since this is proven to not be debunked, um, they're wrong about let's just, the quote. Let's just take a look at what Lenin says. And what Lenin said on that is imperialism is capitalism at the stage of development at which dominance of monopolies and finance capitalism is established, in which the export of capital has acquired pronounced importance, in which the division of the world among the international trusts has begun, in which the division of all territories of the globe among the biggest capitalist powers has been completed. That's from, um, so that's from Lenin's essay, Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism, which is volume 22 of Lenin's Collected Works, page 266 to 7. Hmm. So, I guess we weren't wrong. But <laughs> well, let's not stop prematurely. Oh, oh boy, there's do, more. <clears throat> but wait, do, do you mind? <laughs> Even more succinctly, I mean, in his essay "Imperialism and the Split in Socialism," um, Lenin says, "Quote: Finance capital is monopoly. Industrial capital merged with bank capital." Now, here's the here's your moment of Zen. In the words of the arch PMC comedian John Stewart. What distinguishes imperialism is the rule, not of industrial capital, but of finance capital, the striving to annex not agrarian countries, particularly, but every kind of country. Mm -hmm. End quote. But there's more. (laughs) Let's go back to the imperialism essay. Lenin writes, and then this is uh, pulled from the entire essay. So there are Dot, dot, dots that I'm going to skip over here. Imperialism is the epoch of finance, capital, and of monopolies. The 20th century marks the turning point from the old capitalism to the new, from the domination of capital in general to the domination of finance capital. The supremacy of finance capital over all other forms of capital, i.e. industrial or commercial merchants capital, means the predominance of the rentier and of the financial oligarchy. It is particularly important to examine the part which the export of capital plays in creating the international network of dependence and on connections of finance capital. Finance capital, literally, one might say, spreads its net over all countries of the world. Capitalism's transition to the stage of monopoly capitalism to finance capital is connected with the intensification of struggle for participation, partitioning of the world, conflict, and so forth. Mm-hmm. End quote. That's from um, a number of places in the Len- in the in the Lenin essay. So they're they're just they're wrong even on Lenin and imperialism. And well, this is the fr- fucking frustrating shit. I mean, this is. I mean, I'm sorry. This is this got to be less fun than the other episodes. But I mean, damn, it's so frustrating because I mean, first of all, it's like the empirical truth, just the way the world is, doesn't matter. I mean, that's the hallmark of the bullshitter. Don't Mm -hmm. care about the way the world is. And then secondly, it's like, all right, if you're going to ignore the truth because you're so immersed in your doctrine, you'd think the person would get it right, but they don't even get it right. I mean, Lenin blames finance capital as the sort of dominant form of capital. Right. I mean, 
maybe he's not even right, but that's what he says. And they are quoting him and then, then saying that, I mean, Michael Hudson is the poster boy of how finance capitalism empire is sort of super, super imperialism. Yeah. And it's draining the world dry. And, and it's just like, it's neither empirically true, the sort of stuff that they're saying, because it's hard to make out even what the thesis is, nor is it even correct. I mean, like the thing is, I'll give you an example. Um, when we were talking about this, someone said that, that we don't argue for a Marxist position or whatever. It's anti-Marxist. Well, I, I mean, we didn't talk about theory because it didn't seem appropriate in a practical proposal to, you know, go around quoting Mm -hmm. these people dogmatically but basically and i'm reading from volume 32 of marx engels collected works page 464 marx says in the course of its evolution industrial capital must subjugate these forms finance capital and commercial capital Mm -hmm. and transform them into derived special functions of itself end quote there's more there but i just skipped to the point point being way marx saw it was that the development of industrial capital would have to subordinate finance capital. And that hasn't happened. On the contrary, finance capital subordinated industrial capital. So that means either Marx is wrong or that still has yet to happen. Right. And so our proposal is just coming straight out of theories of surplus value. Marx's, Marx's book, you know, volume four of capital. Mm-hmm. It's just mind boggling. Well, it's also, it seems to me that their problem the problem with Michael Hudson isn't that isn't actually that they think he's wrong. It's that they think he's anti-Marxist. Right. That's the thing. Like more important than the truth is whether it corresponds to the. Right. But, but tell me how, why, how? <laughs> Cause I mean, it, what is that? Huh? What is that? I don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like you could have a ostensibly Marxist economist mm-hmm who writes a book called super imperialism about how finance capital is, you know, doing the work of imperialism now around the world. And they probably love it, you know? Mm. And I I don't know if it's just because they don't, I don't, there seems to just be a major aversion by people on the left, broadly speaking Mm -hmm. to ideas that don't come from the left. But the funny thing is, the shit is coming from the left. He calls himself a Marxist. Right, right. And he says the problem with Marxists is that they don't read volumes two and three of Capital and they don't read theories of surplus value. They just read the manifesto and go sloganeering and shouting their opinions. Mm -hmm. And actually that scares working people away, especially in this country. Like you'd be better off just to like study Marxist economic theory, which is to say like his explanation of how capitalism works. And then just try to understand the world and then see what you can do. But for some reason, that's not emotionally satisfying to leftists. So the, did you guys talk about neo-feudalism? Yet? I mean, that's his, that's his thing. He says, if, if finance becomes totally dominant, it'll make it impossible to um, accum- produce surplus value and accumulate it in the traditional way that capitalism worked. And so instead of having uh, capitalism, it'll basically finance capital will st- all capitalism, choke it out, and then you'll have neo-feudalism where you have debt peonage, little fiefdoms, where you have to pay rent like to iTunes and Netflix economies, Googleize everything, 
And then, you know, it, it won't be properly speaking capitalism anymore. And I think that's where they feel threatened. They're like, that's not Marxism. It's like, yo, that's an empirical thesis. Either it's true or it's false. Right. None of that other shit matters. Well, and that's, uh, you see this, I think, with people who are critical of someone like Michael Lind and his mm-hmm. analysis of the right. sort of managerial class. Mm-hmm. And there's this newer book um, that I've been reading called The Coming Age of Neo-Feudalism mm-hmm. by Joel Kicken. Mm-hmm. And Joel Kicken, of course, he's much like Michael Lind. He describes himself as, a you know, for a long time, a Democrat, but now he doesn't really align himself with the Democratic Party. He presents his analysis of the sort of emerging neo-feudal era mm-hmm. that we're entering mm-hmm. as being neither left nor right. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to empirically describe what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And, but, you know... Let's just understand the world. Right. And then, and, then once we can, get oriented. You know, I Googled him and I found um, one of his, uh, someone writing an essay in the Los Angeles Review of Books. It was, um, I forget, can't remember the the woman's name now, but she's kind of... Um, Do you want to pull it up? Kind of classical. Um, she did that book, The the Crowds. Don't know. Um, doesn't matter. But, um, you know, she was very critical of him. You know, she described him as a conservative. And it seemed to me that that was the only argument that really needed to be made, is that he's conservative. Oh, right. So if he's conservative, then he's what wrong. he says is false. Right. He has an agenda. Well, this is the ad hominem stuff that goes on all the time. Like, you know, I read a lot of Lenin over the summer and Lenin would say, oh, the bourgeois Philistine. Like, so fucking what? Like, if if it's true what the person says, Mm -hmm. why does it matter? Like, what color their necktie Mm -hmm. is? Well, Lenin had a purpose. He's setting up opposition. To be fair, I didn't read, I didn't read the whole essay of her. So maybe she makes more of a point than that. But I just did a- Oh, Jody Dean? Jody Dean. I did a quick- um, sort of search for his yeah, name within the essay. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be that was the sort of level of engagement. Well, this is to the be thing. Fair, I could be wrong. It could be more substantive than that. But when people say these are conservative talking points, like you're just, whatever you're saying is disqualified because you're saying something that sounds like what our opponent says. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I mean, it's crazy. Like the normative commitments about the way we want things to be in the way the world ought to be. We believe they come before our assessment of the way things actually are and what's actually possible. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. what that's saying, mm-hmm. right? And then to the point about um, neo feudalism, um, when we were engaged in the debate on the uh, moratorium proposal, um, who we'll call C, um, basically we were talking about what would be the result when these debts come due. Right. C himself um, said this. So what we were talking about when these debts come due, what is going to be the course of action? If we organize the people and the people have enough power to say, we're not paying those debts, you guys are paying the debts, and we know the best place to get it from is the finance sector and the banks. They have the money, get it from them, we're not paying. Mm. But if we don't have that power, this is what C said himself, which was kind of weird because he was saying it in opposition to what Mm -hmm. we were saying. Mm -hmm. He was saying what we're seeing is that, I think he specifically was talking about in L.A., They're starting out, they're creating funds. The government is going to set up funds where people can basically pay interest on their rent. So they're going to collect the debt for the rent, kind of like toxic assets. Mm -hmm. And then people are going to pay back either the state or the bank 
with interest. And functionally, that is what neo-feudalism is. Mm -hmm. You create Mm -hmm. a rentier system Mm -hmm. where you are perpetually indebted Mm -hmm. to the state or to the organization that you owe Mm -hmm. the money to. Right. And that could be the result from this moratorium. That's what he was saying was the logical result. Yeah. Just to make it super (laughs) simple, he was saying that it's very probable that all of the back rent and stuff people are held accountable for will just be put on a payment plan that lasts their whole life. And so there'll be perpetual debt peons, basically, you know, like serfdom, serfdom, like student loan. It'll be done like student loan debt. And that, I mean, that that's what neo-feudalism is when the economy takes predominantly takes on that character. And so it's Thaddeus put it in really nicely in a phone call before this thing is they just don't know what it's called, that thing they're talking about. And so when you say what it's called, they're, they're weirded out and they say, no, it's, it's like the example you use was a kid says, I don't like spaghetti. I like noodles with the red sauce on it. It's like, right. That's what spaghetti is. And they're like, don't try to trick me. <laughs> it's not Italian. <laughs> I don't like it's Italian not, food. I'm an American. I don't eat Italian food. I eat noodles with red sauce on it. Or like, right. well, you know, I don't eat Chinese food. I eat teriyaki noodles. Right. Right. That's, that's what it is. And that's all that it is. I mean, in the comment, I mean, they got so weirded out. I've heard this phrase so many times fed back to me from so many, just so many times. At one point during the discussion, Daniel stated that ending capitalism could mean going, quote, out of the frying pan into the fire, end quote, because a victory for finance capital in the so-called fire sector would mean descent into neo-feudalism. I mean, okay, so they say that I said that, ergo what? I mean, what it means when I said you could go out of the frying pan into the fire is that not every end of capitalism is going to be good. And capitalism might be ending right now. Mm-hmm. And a socialist might say, hurrah, but it might be worse what's coming. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Um, the last time that capital ended, capitalism ended in most places, it didn't result in socialism. It resulted in fascism. And chaos. Oh, that's right. So we fascism. have direct examples of this not ending just the chaos. way we want to. I mean, look at I mean, chaos. Like these places like Somalia or something, they don't have functioning markets. Right. It's the same thing as, oh, we want democracy inside of Afghanistan. So we are going to get rid of, you know, the terrorist governments that they have. Well, guess what? They didn't get democracy and they didn't get any government. They just got pure terrorism. Mm-hmm. So that can, Iraq. I mean, yeah, that's like the situation Iraq was even Iraq. worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that is functionally what you are proposing if you do not have a plan. You're exposing well, we people to chaos. A plan, but also we need to understand the way things are. And we... And there's a kind of dishonesty among many leftists, I think, where they're like, we can't risk. We, we know what the outcome we want and we can't risk. I mean, like, what if we do a neutral, value-free, objective analysis and we discover that what we want isn't possible or that the way things are deeply conflicts with our commitments about the way we believe the world to be? Like, then we'll be really fucked. So we have to, like, not do that, that disinterested social scientific Mm-hmm. and uh, examination and explanation we can't admit the way the world is yeah, it's like somebody Fuck who doesn't you. want to check their bank account because they know how little money they have like you still fucking poor if you design. don't look. yeah I mean that's a good example but it's the same thing that's why I call, always call it doctrinal because it's the same thing as intelligent design we don't want to believe that evolution explains reality that you know we come from you know I don't want to think uh, that I come from a, a common ancestor 
We don't want to believe that. We want to believe we know for a fact that we all come from God. So we need to develop a way where adaptation can happen through God and well, not through, you know, genetics. It's called mutation. It's a lawyer's brief, so-called. Like usually you say these are the these are the premises from which I derive my conclusion. What you have here is the inverse case. This is the conclusion. I mean, this is the conclusion we from, need to derive our premises. from which I derive my premises. Yeah, like yeah. I want to end here. So what would I have to assume as a premise to end here? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take the risk of ending up anywhere else. It's just, it's just so like, it's no wonder that the left is a series of abysmal failures reinterpreted as semi victories, mm-hmm. like try, fail, try again, fail better. It's like, dumbass, you're just failing. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the first sentence, the first clause. We disagree with the ideas of modern monetary theory. What the fuck are they? What do you disagree with? What theories There's nothing to disagree with. theory do you disagree with? MMT is just a description of accounting. Okay. Yeah, and it's not even an yeah. empirical proposition. It's a mathematical identity. If you lend me a hundred bucks and I spend it, I give Thaddeus a hundred bucks, you have a hundred dollar asset, supposing you have not charged me an interest. And I have a hundred dollar liability and your positive 100 and my negative 100 net to zero. They're the same thing. It's numerically identical. Mm-hmm. So if my debt's canceled, your asset is destroyed. And if your asset is destroyed, my debt is canceled. That's not negotiable. That's not up for discussion. It's fucking math. Womp. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it boggles the mind. It just boggles the mind. Cause here, here it is again. It's like, if we concede that MMT is true, then maybe the working class will not push for socialism because they'll realize that, you know, sovereign currency issuing nations are not fiscally constrained. Can solve your problems without you owning the means of production. Or, yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah, could, you could create an enormous, you could create a, a welfare state, you know, 10 times right. better than what we had in you know, the 1950s. I mean, what it means is that the Keynesian, the, the Keynes's view that capitalism could be managed is in principle possible, even right. if it's not probably going to happen. Right, right, and right. that's, they, they just can't accept that. But this again is a question of fact. It's not a question of norms. It's also a, a case of wanting to have it all. Um, because if it's a question of fact and you're wrong on the facts, right, you can have a massive social safety net that's better than what the Soviet Union had in their form of socialism. Let's say you can do that with MMT. People recognize that. We start applying MMT to like, give people the floor mm-hmm. that gives them their subsistence needs mm-hmm. and beyond. Allows and all, that them means, to excel. all that means is when you understand how a monetary system works, then different options are going to be right. available to you. But That's that, all MMT yeah, means. And that doesn't negate the moral aspects of socialism, though. Right. And they don't want to because there are ideas that people should you know, have co- collective endeavors that exploitation should not exist in an economic system because it lends itself to uh, negative implications, right? It lends itself to uh, immiseration. Um, and that's, that's, that's a moral situation. That's something that you're, like, like you said, it's, 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 it's a normative claim. It's, it's, it's an ought, mm-hmm. right? So with that being said, that's a fair critique of capitalism that you can have the normative critique. And with that being said, they don't want to just rely on that normative critique. They want to have it all. But at some points, that normative critique can be strong enough to persuade people. 
I mean, you see it all the time with libertarians saying that, you know, um, property rights, uberales, right? That you should yeah. have this yeah. individual freedom, right? Despite the immiseration that it causes, that this is a core, this is a claim that is a right. It's, mm. it's an well, it's inalienable not, right. It's not a right, factually <laughs> speaking, because what rights people actually have. I mean, that's, that's a what question saying, of fact. Though. I mean, you look and see what rights people actually have. What they mean is in their conception of what is essentially true and right and good, everyone would have this right. Right. That's what I'm saying. And though. so the and Marxists you can make and that claim. These kind, yeah. Well, these kind of lefties and libertarians are the same. They mix up the view of the way the world is with the way they want it to be. Or but I'm saying rely right, on right, that right. argument. The, the argument mean? of what you want the world to be is a strong argument. You can persuade people. You may be designated because one of their slogans is always a better world is possible. Right. That's, but how do you know that if you don't know what the world is like? But, but despite like, the, the world they want is the better world. Right? right. We're talking about, you know, they put the uh, what is it? The, the, the premises, you know, they put the say? conclusion before the, the premises. The conclusion before the premises. OK, your conclusion is what you want. Right. Well, if you look at the world the way it is, you know, the empirical facts may say that your way is not the only way. Um, but at that point, you can also then argue that my way is still a better way because of the moral implications of my way. You know, it sure. becomes a moral argument. But they don't what I'm saying is they don't want to only rely on that moral, right, arg right, that moral right. argument. They want to have it all. They the yeah, same yeah. way they vilify Michael Hudson by saying he's an anti-Marxist bourgeois economist, even though he calls himself a Marxist. They cannot just say, well, we disagree. They want to dress their moralizing up in the appearance of matters of fact and yeah. so forth. I mean, Michael Hudson is an 85-year-old economist who has been excluded from the whole institution because he argued in 1972 that America dominates the world through dollarization. And, um, you know, he's basically been blacklisted in all places except for the MMT places. And he understood that first. I mean... He's awesome if you just read it. I mean, without the right. without the lenses. And you know what? I just whipped out the Trotsky, the the, the transitional program oh off the shelf. Boy. Brace yourself, boys and girls. First, first sentence of the section called expropriation of the private banks and the statization of credit system. Hubba hubba. Imperialism means the domination of finance capital. Bum, bum, bum. But it goes farther. It goes farther. Like Trotsky, I mean, maybe he wasn't so bad because what he advocates here is basically the policy options that are possible if you understand basic functioning of the mon monetary financial system, which MMT is a description of. He says, in order to create a unified system of investments and credits along a rational plan corresponding to the interests interest of the entire people, it is necessary to merge all the banks into a single national institution. The single state bank will be able to create much more favorable conditions for the small depositors than could the private banks. Um, what this is about is cheap credit. We need a single financial staff. The statization, the statization of the banks will produce these favorable results only if the state power itself passes completely from the hands of the exploiters into the hands of the workers. And so a public financial institution by and for the public, I mean, 
that is advocating a conception of a financial system where you have free credit in a state centrally located um, bank. I mean, that's, that's just a sovereign currency issuing government. Yeah. There's nothing more, there's nothing more to it. Damn it. So Trotsky's an mmt -er? Oh man. Fuck. We disagree. I disagree with Trotsky. I'm on Trotsky's side. I disagree wait, wait, with wait, Trotsky. Wait, 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 wait. But by you saying <laughs> that if you disagree with me, you disagree with Trotsky, that's intimidation. Oh, right. MMT <laughs> actually stands for Mal Marx Trotsky. I don't know if you guys Mal know. Marx Trotsky? Mal Marx yeah. Trotsky. Yeah. That's, that's the thing though. Let's, let's, well, we'll get to this. If you disagree with Marx, you disagree. Or disagree with me, you disagree with Marx. And that, that was the thing that kept coming up. But before we leave this fifth point, um, I just want to, before we move away from this last point about this shitty mess about economics, I mean, I want to quote some of the things that people have said to me in meetings about economics or, or, or on the way to a meeting personally, because this is just, I think it is such a good example of the problem with the left. This isn't about socialist alternative. This is about the left. And I, in some respects, my memory is not so good. On this front, it's quite good. I would like to call it politics first Marxism. And that attitude basically holds that there is, there is no real fundamental economic consideration. I mean, it's neither empirically true, the economic theories, nor is it Marx. It doesn't fucking matter. So T said, T, quote, I never studied economy. End quote. Quote, I don't know anything about economy, end quote. Quote, I don't even think about the economy, end quote. And then there's S. S is a very senior member, and he gets involved personally in serving us our just desserts and all of these silly emails and debates and stuff. S once asked, where would Michael Hudson get the idea that feudalism is based on rents? End quote. That feudalism is a political regime whose economic foundation is rent, paying and receiving rents. So that's to say peasants and landlords. Any guesses? <laughs> that's one I don't of those. Know. Huh? You tell me. Was it Ho Chi Minh? Yes. Was it <laughs> all of the above? <laughs> <laughs> Who said it first? Was it Marl Karks? Oh, Marl Karks. Never heard of him. I like Marl Karks. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those moments where it's like, if you wouldn't have said anything, I wouldn't have known you hadn't read Marx. Then C said, I asked, maybe we should look at the preface to the contribution of critique of political economy because it's the single most quoted passage in Marx's works in the entire history of the whole thing. You know, basis superstructure, that whole story about social conditions determining exist, um, consciousness. No, I haven't read any of that stuff except Engels' essay on socialism. Blink, blink. And then, worst of all, H said, don't read Capital. You shouldn't start with a big work like that. Don't read Capital. That, end quote. That was, that was said to a rank-and-file member, a new rank-and-file member. Don't read Capital. Hmm. What do you think about this? That's uh, seems silly. I mean, that was the, the overwhelming impression. When I read this letter and I gave it to you and you read it, you're like, it just seems silly. But I mean, could you, 
extemporize? I mean, it just seems... I mean, it's very passive-aggressive, obviously. And it it just seems... I feel like I'm getting a letter from my manager scolding me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's just how it reads. But why would a Marxist say don't read Capital? Or think it's okay to not know about that? I mean, do I think that all workers need to read Capital? No. But a Marxist. A Marxist, sure. Should but, they not? Like, you don't need to read Marx in order to hold down a job and raise a family. Right. That would be absurd. I don't think you need to read, I don't even think you need to read Marx to hold down a job and organize. Right. What have you. Right. Um, you could be a union organizer, for instance. Right, that. right, 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 right. Um, but yeah, if you're going to call yourself a Marxist, and if that's going to be, you know, where you're situ- situate, situate yourself, then yeah, I mean, more sh- important, you should probably know what you're talking about. If you're going to choose things to read <sighs> on Marxism, maybe you should read Capital. I'm just, just saying. I mean, going out on a limb here. Whether, whether or not. You can't, I mean, you can call me an asshole, but you can't say I didn't prepare. This is what they substitute for capital. What I have right here is the new member reading packet, part two, socialist Argue. alternative. This is going to hurt. Page 47, we make the money. Quote, money seems to rule our lives. There's never enough of it. But at root, it's the working class that makes the money. End quote. So, um, to basically translate that, cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. <laughs> that's right. Dollar dollar that's, bills, y'all. That's right. <laughs> All you need is Wu Tang. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's neither empirically true nor is it Marx's view. Money. Right. Where does money come from? Where do babies come from? The stork? Like, seriously? Where does money come from? Are you asking me where money comes from? Semi-rhetorically, but please, someone illuminate this abyss. Well, in America, it's the government. Right. Like Federal Reserve. Right. Somewhat more contentious would be the claim that there's endogenous currency creation through private banks, but we don't even have to go there. I mean, it's obvious. You take out your pocketbook, you look in there, see those little green things. Oh, you got some, huh? I mean, it's a simple question of, you know, where do you get your money? Well, from my paycheck or, you know, from my boss. Well, where do they get their, do they get their money? From the bank. Well, where does the bank get their money? You know, and then they could either say from people who deposit it, you know, and then you just get this kind of um, mm-hmm. circular thing where mm-hmm. like, you know, you're never getting to the beginning. It's like a vicious circle. Right. Well, but at the end of the day, the bank gets its money from. Well, the, 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 let's the, just the, read a $20 bill. Um, it says at the top, um, Federal Reserve note. And then there's also under the United States insignia. Um, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Treasurer of the United States. Hmm. Well, you know, the, the way I know that only the government can issue that, that it has to come from the government is that if I try to make it myself, they'll throw me in fucking jail. Wait, Precisely. wait, wait. There's more on the dollar bill. On the back. There's something on the back. <laughs> this is, this is, this is really where money comes from. In God, we trust. Oh shit. Oh shit. Money comes from it God. It comes from God. But here's the, here's the catch. 
Wait. The working class is God. Oh, oh snap. <laughs> we did it. We got it. So what I think what that author means is that um, in Marx's theory, his name's Peter Watson. In Marx's theory, the working class produces surplus value, which is the origin of profit. You know, when capitalists exploit workers, that's the origin of profit. Yeah, okay. That's what Marx said. You could have just read some Marx and then you'd understand. All right. So those were the five. And this is a pain in the ass, but I mean, if something marks 2020 for me, apart from the pandemic, it's my involvement in socialist alternative. And so like, it's been long and painful. So this episode, I guess it's appropriate. These five points where they say that there are political disagreements between us and the ISA, which is just silly because there's a lot of disagreement in the organization. It's, not just, it's the singling out and forcing people to conform that is just like manipulative. I don't know how you put it, like cult-like or something. And then Yeah. So, so much bullshit. After the five points, there are six demands. <sighs> I um, mean, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So six demands. Do we want to go through the opening just just the 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 last paragraph? Yeah, I mean, or just the last sentence of the last paragraph, and then we'll go through the six demands. Well, there's these there's these points like objecting to sharp polemicizing comments, objecting to me saying stop typing and look at me when we talk. I mean, you wouldn't like if we were in a meeting and you were just in your phone texting all the time. I mean, would you do that? That's just fucking rude. Right. So if I, I mean, if I'm saying like stop secretly talking to each other in the direct chat while we're having a meeting. What the fuck? It's just crazy. Passive aggression, like harsh words. Like you call yourself militant revolutionary cadre. Discourse policing. This is just discourse policing. Mm -hmm. When I say only babies care about identity and representation, I mean. So let's go through. Call a person a rad lib. Like how are you ever going to have a fight? Like a real conflict. And I'm, I'm looking up the, the term polemicize. I'm looking up what a polemicist is. And all it is, is a person who engages in controversial debate. If you are a revolutionary, that is your fucking business. That's your job. That is the least you can do is Brace engage yourself. in controversial debate. If you can't do that, you know, get the fuck out the business. Snowflakes. And, uh, you know, my goodness. So I, I'm absolutely in favor of polemicizing everything. If it has merit, if I'm, it gets to a point, yes, you should engage yourself in controversial debate. It's necessary. And you got to get, you got to practice and get good at it, right? Yep. Like argumentation is an art. And I mean, if, and if you can't coherently articulate your views, maybe they're not coherent. I mean, two things I take from this is first, Discourse police, which is typical for the left. The second is don't have any other groups apart from this group. That's what I'm getting from this. So it's not elected. This is not democratic, this organization. And, no. and it's hostile. It's hostile to anything but itself. It feels like a cult. The leaders pick themselves and they just recycle each other over and over and over again. We, the organization runs on creating slates and you know who presents the slates. Anybody can present a slate as I understand it. But for the most part, how it goes is the leadership presents 
two slates because you have to feign democracy. They pick what you vote on and right. you vote and then they say it's democratic. Right. And the slates aren't even democratic in their structure because you pick four people and they're supposed to be the leaders of the organization. And they then you don't even pick the four leaders in respect to these four leaders are going to be finance organizer. Um, they're going to be branch organizer. They're going to be the paper organizer and they're going to be the contact organizer. Those are the four jobs. And you don't even know that when you vote on who is going to be in these slates. You don't know what job they're going to take on in that slate. You just vote on those four people to be ambiguously leaders of a branch. And then they decide who is going to partake what job. Well, they decide everything. It's all centrally decided. And then they call it democratic centralism, but there's no democracy. It's just a clique at the top who makes all the decisions internally. And then they hand it down and it's the socialist alternative show where it's just like, the faces change. People come and go at different intervals, depending on how fast they realize that they have no control because it's not democratic. They come and they go because they realize it's a reading group which trashes reading groups. It's DSA which talks shit about DSA. Nobody's as radical as Socialist Alternative, but they don't do anything in Chicago, at least. I can't say anything about everybody everywhere, but in Chicago, damn. Like I joined during the Sanders campaign to do work. And maybe it's just the pandemic, but we haven't done anything but tabling and so let's, let's, we let's, haven't done anything but tabling. And what's the other thing? Um, what branch meetings, branch meetings, readings, um, phone banking, we're told to sell newspaper. Like the goals of the organization are to get three new people this year and to sell a bunch of newspapers. That's, that's just, that's inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's easy. It's just um, a club. It's just so but, um, and, and we've already lost more than three people. So in it's not even making up for the, the, the losses. The gains are not even making up for the losses. But to the end of this, um, basically, the last sentence in this letter is, we want to appeal to you to take the following measures. And the first measure um, is... Um, Work with the BC to propose branch agendas that allow time to address the political disagreements identified in this letter. And what that pertains to is in a meeting, as stated before, I brought up that Shama Sawant agreed with our moratorium campaign. And I learned well, about this. She did this. something like what we proposed. We, we, she was proposing to and do something. it was something, kosher when she did it, right. but not when we did not it for Chicago. We, we, were, we were anti-Marxist for proposing something like that. And she is the paragon of virtue for pro proposing something like that. And we can't do it in Chicago because we don't have the power when other organizations are doing it with far less people was my argument. No, because the leadership just didn't want to. That, that was communicated to me in a phone call. And um, basically, this is bullshit because at the beginning of every meeting, there is a question posed. Would anyone like to add anything to the agenda? I learned this information the day before the branch meeting. I can't bring it up to you to put it on the agenda ahead of time. So I was like, hey, add it to the agenda. That seems to be going through the proper channels by how much understanding I have. Mm -hmm. So I asked them to put it on the agenda. Mm -hmm. And then it was only a point of clarification. Tell me why it's good for the gander, but not for the goose. Why is it good for Shama Sawant, but not good for me and Daniel? And then what was the result of bringing this up? 
it allowed us to address it in real time without them manufacturing mm-hmm. bullshit responses. Mm-hmm. And it got a second agenda point on the next meeting of actually having a small debate on this thing. Mm-hmm. That was the purpose. Mm-hmm. This is Well, that's the thing. Like, let's say, for instance, there's disagreements about Keynes, post-Keynesian economics or like MMT or whatever. So you'd make that a point like, OK, a person will give a talk about that so we can address it. Um, that's what I did. I suggested that topic and I did it and we had a conversation and then someone said, well, based on what you said, I mean, you're obviously supporting uh, Keynesianism or MMT. So it, it's just like those things have happened. Um, those things have all happened. And um, yeah. So let's go on to number two. Tried. Refrain from polemicizing unrelated branch agenda points, which can undermine the immediate priorities of the branch. Disagreement is not undermining. Because I say I have a disagreement with your agenda point, that's the point of bringing it up in a branch so that we can discuss it and bring up our disagreements. If all we were there to do was agree with each other, why the the fuck are we going to branch? That's the thing, though. Don't have one. Don't waste my goddamn time. (laughs) (laughs) You're just supposed to agree, Thaddeus. This is like a social club. So, yes, the purpose of me being there is to polemicize the debate where I find it necessary to polemicize it so I can get answers and be clear and most Mm. importantly, effective in any program that you're presenting. If you had the fucking dignity of actually presenting me with a program to participate in, if you're not doing that, don't call me to branch. I don't need to be there. I can do work on my own or I, 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 I could be at home playing video games or listening to music. Point three, refrain from adopting rhetorical methods that are designed to intimidate or undermine the confidence of members. For instance, when you make a proposal and you invest a lot of your personal time and then someone shits all over it, uh, they call it, they say it's, it's not Marxist or it's anti-Marxist. And then they contact your friend in the organization to tell you to stop organizing reading groups. And then they say, I won't quote, I won't recommend that you be expelled, but maybe you should ask yourself whether this is the organization for you. Right. And then on top of that, <laughs> on top like, of that, oh, there's always more. There's always there, more. There's just no, as you have noticed. Like, right. There's always more. And when you're actually making the proposal and you're trying to have the debate through their prescribed proper channels and you tell them, hey, I do my best work by talking to people. And the purpose of me talking to people is to build a proposal that be the most effective for everyone to participate in in this organization. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get ideas from everybody to make it better. And they tell you. No, you cannot have the list of contacts in the organization to actually work with people. You can You're only not supposed to talk to people. No, 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 no. Don't talk to people. You can only present your proposal at our prescribed meetings after, after we have already put it down mm-hmm. to everyone in our separate branches. After we've already poisoned the well and not allowed you to actually talk to people and organize with people, then you can talk to them. That's not intimidation, though. Well, no, you're not supposed to talk outside of the prescribed um, channels. I mean, that's the thing. I I made some friends in this organization and I talked to them. I guess I'm not supposed to do that. Point four, stop promoting parallel meetings outside of the democratic structures of the organization. Um, Don't tell me not to talk to people. And my point is with this, 
That's the culty. That's, that's the cult like thing. And that's also mm-hmm. fucking dumb, right? I mean, I so, shit you not. I got a call from a friend in the organization because people in the leadership were weirded out that when the pandemic hit, <laughs> I started a reading group and I figured like I made friends in this organization and everybody friended on Facebook. And I thought, you know, everyone's locked in their house. You remember at the very beginning, it was like no one could do anything. And I thought, fuck, we are paralyzed. It was when the Sanders campaign was still going. And I was just like, damn, depressing. We got to do something. We can't, I mean, you don't want your, you don't want your political group to just become a reading group, but I mean, it was really paralyzing. And I thought, well, fuck, you know, why don't we just read some marks? And so the Facebook group was just meant like, if you want to come, people are lonely. If you want to talk to somebody, we, everybody calls themselves Marx. read some Marx. No. Contact my friend. Friend told me, dude, you're making people uncomfortable. I said, what? Facebook group? A reading group? It's Marx. We're not reading like Pol Pot or something. And it's been an issue ever since then. And here's the thing. Help me understand this. With that being an issue. How does it look to you? You're not in the organization. Yeah, Yeah, you you just seems like a cult to me. (laughs) Basically. It's the only way that I can think about it. And here's the separate thing. Why even... Like with the reading group, the reading group was us discovering, discussing first of value, price, and profit, and wage, wage, labor, and capital. wage labor, and capital. And then we went on to discuss capital, um, values one, two, and three. And the point is, it was structured a lot better because if we had disagreements in that reading group, things were, we stuck on a topic until it was clarified for people, everyone in the reading group. So there was a lot more ability for you to actually uh, reckon with the information and, and come to conclusions, you know, in your own, you know, of, of, of your own account. Um, and when they developed reading groups, um, you know, alongside, you know, mm-hmm. Daniel's reading group, we read. It's just a casual thing for people to like right. chit chat. I mean, but even still, what they did was a worse job. We're just talking about the value of the two different products that were presented. Your product versus well, socialist alternatives. Nobody ever came that objects to it. Why didn't they just come? They once? never came. That, that's also the point. So they don't even know the product, right? They're critiquing. They're making a review on a product that they have not used. Um, and also. It's just rude. Why wouldn't yeah. it? Just come and say hi for Christ's sake. And also their product, what they did is they organized reading groups. We were supposed to read six books in six weeks, right? And let's say it expanded to eight weeks. But we read um, Socialism, Utopian, and Scientific in one week and discussed it for only two hours. An entire book. Nobody is going to be able to present anything that is debatable or comes to any conclusion. My reading group they put together just fizzled at the end and people are like, this shit's boring. And I talked to another guy that I recruited and he's like, I'm probably not going to go to the reading groups because I mean, I don't get anything out of it. It's really simple. And like, I know that stuff. And it's just like, when you say this. On my end, of course, I'm going to promote a product that has a uh, given presented benefits to me. And it's just a better product than what you guys have, right? We're trying to all expand our knowledge of Marxism. And if I find something that works better, then I'm going to present that. So it shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't. It also isn't a damn competition, for Christ's sake. Right. Point five, participate in collective priorities of the branch, especially Shama's solidarity <laughs> campaign. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, why don't you tell about participating in the Shama? I have campaign. participated in everything. And I was on a branch committee. So I've been in quote unquote leadership. And where I started out 
was we were working on the Byron and Rosanna Rodriguez campaigns, Byron Cicho Lopez, um, Alderman in uh, Chicago. And um, we engaged in that. Um, I went to meeting or I went to Canvas with them um, every weekend that I could as soon as I entered into the organization. And then, you know, we won those campaigns. Boom. That was um, very cool. And then after that, we engaged in the Shama re-election campaign. And with that, not only did I spend, you know, 500 of my own dollars to buy a plane ticket to go to Seattle to Canvas and to volunteer for Shama, you know, um, I was housed with someone who lived there, so I didn't have to pay for, you know, a hotel or anything like that. But I had to pay for my own board essentially. And I was not paid to do this as a volunteer. So I put my money into that. That's another part of the engagement I was in. Also, the whole time I'm in this organization, I'm paying $50 a month. So functionally, I've given this organization around $1,000 in dues, another 500 in going to Seattle to participate in this campaign. And then another 500, as I can account in a direct payment to Shama's campaign in a donation, Mm -hmm. let alone all the fundraisers that Socialist Alternative has. So I don't know how much money I have given as a volunteer in this organization and my participation. And then in the Bernie Sanders campaign, not only was I going to our North side canvases, I was helping organize a West side mm-hmm. canvas. Mm-hmm. So my participation has been whole in this organization. Everything we've been engaged in up until now, I have been a part of above and beyond almost everyone. So, But you live right down the street from where they were tabling that one day. Oh, that you one time. And you couldn't even show up. Right. When they didn't even know what I was doing that day. Right. I could have been sick and dying. Or you, you could know? have been taking your dog with cancer to the to the vet. To the vet. I could have been doing get, that. Yeah. But um despite that and I mean it doesn't really matter that much. I mean ultimately it's just like No, I, I want to address we should... one more thing about this um you know, collective priorities <laughs> in the anyway. branch, especially the Shama campaign, where my original disagreement with this group came up when I was supposed to be finance organizer, we were asking people for a part of their stimulus check, oh, yeah. not That's just a small up. part. Adam, they were asking to people to give as much as that they is. could. Take a deep breath. All right. Take a deep all, right. Breath. all right. All right. Tell them so neutral. He, here's what was going on. Okay. The pandemic happens. You get a phone call. They learn that people are going to get $1,200 stimulus checks. They tell us, tell me specifically as finance organizer, that I need to make an appeal to the membership to donate a portion of their stimulus check. Now, now the the listener did not hear the face Adam just made because (laughs) you can't hear sights. So I was very sober about this. The first thing I told them was that morally I object to this, but my morality is personal and that's why I'm not giving you a part of my stimulus check. But here's why I think it's a bad idea for the organization. We're talking about, in a sense, combat readiness, right? This Mm. stimulus check is something that people need Need. because our perspectives say Mm. that this crisis is going to get a lot Mm, worse and these people are going to need this. And Mm. what I was told is, oh, um, it's only going to be $1,200. That's not really going to be enough to pay for rent. And I was like, at least it's going to be enough to pay for food. So if they do go on rent strike, they have enough right. money it's like to a strike actually fund from stay the federal fed. Government. 
So it's just incredible. Like yeah. parasites. And not only that, but I offered alternatives. I said, Hey, here's what you could do in the small term. You could present this not as a piece of your stimulus check, but increase your dues if you can. So if it comes about that you come into a situation where you are hurting, you can decrease your dues back to the prior level and you know, you only lost a certain amount that you can deal with, right? In 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 that time frame. That was the first thing I offered. They went ahead with the 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 um the demand anyway without me, right? The appeal, they went they went ahead with it without me. Yeah, I got a call from C asking for my stimulus for and some then, of my stimulus check. More importantly, I was saying, okay, this is an opportunity for us to present to generate passive sources of income. So I said, let's monetize the paper mm-hmm. and put it in an audio format mm-hmm. so we can audit uh, monetize it through Patreon or something like yeah, basically that. Basically set up like do our media do do the newspaper media like a podcast and then get Patreon and then, you know, outside supporters can give some income instead of like cannibalizing your own membership. Exactly. Being not being parasites. How would you feel? What would you think if someone said, Hey, why don't you make a sacrifice of some of your stimulus check for this? Time to fuck off. Doesn't it seem weird? Yeah. I mean, I thought it seemed weird, but maybe it's just me. It's a fucking stimulus check for a reason. For a pandemic. Right. And then not just that. And I said, this is a loser approach. This is a losing approach. Like, it's like General Patton said, the goal is not to die for your country. The goal is to make the other guy die for his. You don't get ahead by make, sacrificing yourself. Like we should be finding ways. I mean, if you're going to do politics, you got to succeed. And like, and, and then the, the C said to me, well, the point of this is that it's a sacrifice. We make sacrifices because, and I just think like, what? Like no. I want, I want, my opponent to make sacrifices. I don't know. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're basically, what do I say? Chopping off the head of a fucking goat or a Hydra the, or what is socialist it? Socialist gods, the, the um, Medusa Hydra. You got it right. Hydra. But, um, that goes it's so to the exasperating. Last point. It's so exasperating. That does bring us to the last point. It's been a long journey. It started, a year ago. And this is gonna this is gonna bring us to what Hegel would call absolute negativity. <laughs> okay. Let, let, last point. Um be up on your dues. <laughs> <laughs> That's directed to me. Because I, I yeah. No. I didn't wanna I didn't want to pay dues when I realized that the organization doesn't want to do anything. I don't care about what it is. We got to do something. And then I just think like, damn, do I really? I mean, like I can get Paul Sweezy's book with that 20 bucks. I could be in DSA for five bucks a month. And do equally nothing. Yeah, or do a lot more because there's more people to access. I mean. How do you end this episode? Well, we have to end it. On another note, um, well, this is just us saying pretty much peace. New Year's but, resolutions, um, maybe? Let's say peace to, in a, in a good way, rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> no, to, no, no. Good luck uh, with your organizing. No, no, no. I mean, this is your... something totally different. We're saying rest in peace to one of the greatest MCs of all time. Oh. 
This is a man who got a lot of us. You may know him from the Adult Swim soundtrack. This is MF Doom. Probably the most interesting lyricist of all time. And I say that unreserved. I wouldn't, you, you could argue maybe not the greatest lyricist of all time. I mean, that's a debate. Everyone's going to have their preference on that. But if you're talking about like, just like whimsical, you know, just, just like interesting, um, complex lyrics um, and something that even you could have your kids listen to. Really? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really curse too much but in his, his name lyrics. Is MF Doom, and it's a bunch of cartoon stuff, dude. You should, you should. MF Doom was one of the most interesting lyricists of all time, if not the most interesting lyricist of all time. When you break down his lyrics, well, here's here's and to MF Doom. MF Doom died at forty nine in October. Everyone learned about it December thirty first, and um, he got me through some times. Um, right after high school when I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do and I was a very angry young man and his lyrics would just be so funny that it would calm you down, you know, and make you feel good in that moment while you were like waiting for the bus at one o'clock in the morning, wondering if you missed the last one on your way home, you know, wondering if you were going to get jumped on the way there or something. MF Doom got you through that. And, and but he wasn't but he wasn't good enough to get you through socialist alternative. Wasn't, wasn't good enough to get me through socialist alternative. <laughs> but uh <laughs> But nevertheless he's pretty damn good. He was the he was one of the best. Rest his soul. Rest in peace. And get the money like curls They just trying to get a nut like squirrels In his mad world Land of milk and honey with the swirls Where reckless naked girls get necklaces of pearls Compliments of the town jeweler Left back now schooler Trying to sound cooler On the microphone known as the crown ruler Never lied tomorrow when we said we found the moolah 500 something dollars Laying right there in the street Huh, now let's try and get something to eat